From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, the quantum retina. This exciton travels around is not described by uh, classical physics. It can only really be explained in terms of um, a quantum phenomenon. First this. What's your idea of the perfect meeting? Mine would be a meeting in which the topics I want are covered by the people who are innovators in their fields, who talk about things that are immediately relevant to my practice, and who are both approachable and available between sessions. Ideally, I would like only one session to be running at a time so that I don't miss anything, and for each session to consist only of really high-quality speakers. I guess if I were to go on to fantasize, the meeting would be in a beautiful location with plenty for my family to do while I'm filling my brain. Now, if you add a collegial atmosphere that promotes conversation with other ophthalmologists and an informal setting, then you would have a pretty good description of side-by-side, ASCRS's new winter meeting. Side-by-side takes the place of winter update, and its motto is, at the intersection of ideas and implementation. Join me at Side by Side at Turnberry Isle in Adventura, Florida. Go to sidexside.ascrs.org for more information, to book your housing, and to register. In the early 20th century, physics moved away from the Newtonian model into the modern understanding of quantum physics, We generally think of quantum physics as operating on the subatomic, or at most the atomic scale, but recent work has shown that quantum physics may have real, measurable effects at the scale of cellular biology. Could it be that these effects are also observable in the retina? Robert Kasson thinks that this may be the case. He has just published a paper on the quantum biology of the retina, and I'm happy to have him as my guest today. We're going to be talking about quantum biology. Now, it it seems to me that biochemistry is ultimately quantum by nature. What defines quantum biology? Well, that's a great question, I guess, Josh. And, uh, you know, quantum biology is uh, an emerging interdisciplinary field that uh, is of interest to physicists and engineers and uh, biologists and I think maybe even ophthalmologists. I guess you're quite right that, you know, you could say, uh, well, quantum physics is everything. Uh, everything, is, everything is quantum. Uh, all of chemistry is essentially uh, quantum uh, mechanics, so uh, by extrapolation, so is biology. I guess what we're really talking about, though, is some of the more uh, interesting features of quantum mechanics, so the more exotic type features like uh, superposition and uh, tunneling and entanglement. That, that sort of thing. So the, the, the basic idea is whether, whether nature has uh, managed over three and a half billion years to exploit any of these weird properties of, of quantum mechanics in an evolutionary sense. And, and certainly there's some evidence that at least some uh, organisms have and some features of biology use aspects of quantum mechanics. And uh, our, our interest was really whether the, uh, the, the retina may display uh, some properties that rely on, on quantum physics. 
Bob, you you mentioned quantum tunneling and superposition in in the, in the paper. You uh, mention other quantum properties too. Bob, what do these words mean? Yeah, well, that's 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 a great question, and uh, really, uh, quantum uh, physics, quantum mechanics, are sometimes termed developed uh, in the early part of the 20th century. Uh, I'm sure some of the listeners uh, you know, studied a bit of optics in the early exams and are familiar with uh, some uh, of these types of uh, properties of quantum mechanics. And in particular, it addresses the phenomenon by which particles behave simultaneously as both waves and particles the so-called wave-particle duality of, of nature, of matter and energy. Now, it addresses these then at the microscopic level, at the very small scale, things at the atomic and subatomic scale. But of course, we're all made of atoms. Uh, everything's made of atoms. So it, it somehow applied at the macroscopic uh, level as well. And how this, how quantum mechanics at the microscopic level merges with what we see, the so-called classical mechanics at the macroscopic level is still somewhat of a, of a mystery. But the critical features uh, for people, I guess, to just wrap their head around a little bit is that uh, light, for instance, electromagnetic radiation, behaves both as a wave and a particle. And of course, we describe it as existing as photons. So that's the, the quantized uh, packet of energy um, that was originally thought up, uh, the concept of that was thought up by Max Planck around about 1900. Uh, the, the, all, this, all this came about really when experimental data was not matching the classical theory. So it was, a, it was one of the cases of um, you know, a beautiful hypothesis was being destroyed by ugly facts. And... Uh, other people uh, were involved, of course, in the early part of the 20th century, like uh, Bohr and uh, Heisenberg and Schrödinger. And in 1926, Schrödinger uh, developed what's called the Schrödinger wave equation, which essentially describes how all matter and energy behaves. And it's, it's analogous, really, to Newton's second law of um, force equals mass times acceleration. And what the Schrodinger wave equation um, describes is that all matter and energy essentially behave in a probabilistic manner. So, you know, we, we think of a, a, a particle as a, as a ball, like a tennis ball, uh, but, but at a very microscopic level, uh, you know, an electron is not really like a tennis ball. It's like something that we can't imagine. So one way I think of this is that the... Uh, particles at the very small level are kind of like a, you can think of them kind of like a wave or, or, or existing like a, uh, a distribution, like a bell-shaped curve is kind of what these things, these things are like. Um, so in tunnelling, for instance, and a weird quantum phenomenon, where, which is seen all the time in modern electronics, for example, if in classical theory, if you throw a tennis ball at a, a barrier like a brick wall, it, it bounces straight back. But at the quantum level, if you throw an electron at an apparently impenetrable barrier in classical theory, the electron has a certain probability of passing through to the other side of this, this barrier. So it's these sorts of things that uh, 
we feel may be actually occurring, and there's certainly some evidence that they are actually occurring in, in, in biology. Now, I, I've read in in the in the lay literature uh, uh, within the last couple of years of um, quantum effects being identified in the context of photosynthesis. Can can I get you to sort of flesh that out a little bit for me? Yeah, sure. So in, in photosynthesis, of course, the, the, the plant is, is using uh, light energy um, to make biomass and, and, and energy. Now, what it turns out that photosynthesis is quite a complex uh, phenomenon. And what, what's happening is the, uh, the chromophore in the, in the plant, in the, the chlorophyll, is absorbing a photon. It's that is turned into a thing that's called an exciton, uh, which then travels along from the site of absorbance to, a, to another area that's known as the reaction center. Now, the, what has been shown is that the way that this exciton travels around is not described by uh, classical physics. It can only really be explained in terms of... Um, a quantum phenomenon in the sense that uh, this thing is existing um, in what's called a superposition of, of, of states. It's, it's, it's kind of a, all, all things at once, uh, which increases its efficiency. The, uh, perhaps a, an example some of your listeners might know of is, is, is uh, Schrodinger's famous Schrodinger's cat experiment. So um, this, this thing in photosynthesis is existing like... Uh, Treating a cat uh, in a number of in a number of states all at once, which enhances the efficiency of the photosynthesis. And, and dealing with 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 the with the subject that's a little bit closer to home for us, but obviously one that deals with the absorption of, of photons too. What, what is phototransduction, and and what's the the? I mean, I know about it from you know years ago when I was a resident. But what what is the the current thinking on how phototransduction works? Well, phototransduction, photo tra- of course, is the uh, conversion of light to electrical uh, signals at the level of the photoreceptors. Now, whether that ha- involves any of these cool aspects of quantum physics is, is unclear, and there, there, there's actually no definite evidence for that in um, higher animal uh, photoreceptors, although there is some evidence for it in... Um, in other options, in fact, in uh, a thing called bacteria rhodopsin that uh, exists in a lower sort of life form in, in the archaea, actually. Um, but basically, in phototransduction, then, of course, the uh, f- photon is being um, absorbed by the chromophore of the opsin, which is the 11 cis retina. Now, this, this is one thing where, of course, there's immediate relevance, and you could say that. Uh, uh, well, quantum biology is definitely occurring in the, in the retina because the uh, photoreceptors themselves are responding to individual photons. So it, it has to be it has to be a, a quantum uh, mechanical phenomenon occurring. They're not they're not responding to the wave like property of the of the light. They're actually um, so sensitive that they can detect uh, individual photons arriving. But the the, the idea of any sort of um, weird type quantum effect comes from the initial conversion of uh, the chromophore, the 11 cis retinals converted to what's called the all-trans-retinal uh, 
performed by a process called photoisomerization. It's really the first step of phototransduction. Now, people have had the idea that uh, this, this step in phototransduction may involve uh, some aspects of quantum mechanics, but there's no definite uh, uh, evidence for that yet in, in, in mammals as far as I know. Yeah, but you 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 make a, a neat point in the in the in the in the paper, and of course you you qualify it there the same way that you do here that you do the, the, that there's no there's no evidence that that this is what's taking place uh, in the uh, you know in in vertebrate retinas, but that the 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 conformational change from eleven cis retinal to all trans retinal is so fast. Um, that it 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 may not even be 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 plausible that with classical physics that you know that the molecule can change over this short time span and that what may in fact be happening is is that there is a quantum uh, transposition going going on that that the that the molecule is 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 existing uh, in in both states although there's a much higher probability of its being. Uh, in the absence of a photon in the 11 cis retinal state, and that the the absorption of of the photon basically just changes the 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 transposition probability to to one that is uh, all all trans, and that this is something this shift in in probability is something that can happen within a very very short time frame. That's that's right, Josh. I mean that's that's the kind of cool idea in that. Uh the essentially the efficiency and the speed of the reaction uh, is such that uh, it's a little bit mysterious in terms of classical physics, and so that's that's why people have, have had the idea. Well, maybe there's some sort of quantum mechanics going on, and, and it follows on basically from the studies on photosynthesis, where uh, if, again the efficiency of the reaction is so uh, great that uh, you know, people started to interrogate it at the level of quantum mechanics and see if there was actually a, a, a quantum explanation for the extreme efficiency. This is all of interest uh, largely to uh, quantum computer engineers. These guys are extremely interested in um, maintaining uh, this kind of ghostly state of, of, of particles in, in uh, the so-called superposition of of states, because this is how uh, quantum computers quantum computers would work. The, the, the problem with maintaining these quantum effects is that uh, they tend to disappear extremely rapidly. In fact, uh, the idea really is that uh, what's called decoherence um, occurs when the system uh, loses information to the environment is essentially the concept. And so for a sort of warm, wet, noisy system that tends to occur in biology, these sort of quantum effects uh, until fairly recently were thought to be impossible. But the evidence for them in, in photosynthesis and uh, uh, some other biological systems uh, is quite intriguing. And it Engineers are interested essentially in how these biological systems manage to uh, hang on to these, hang on to what's called coherence for such a long time, and could they use some of these uh, things that evolution has uh, uh, made use of in their in their quantum computers? 
Now, there, there's there's a lot that that I read in in your in your paper that that was new to 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 me. Uh, there's one thing that that was beyond even new, and, and uh, I, I'm uh, uh, let 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 me just a- ask you this: you you mention a, a proposer uh, by Albrecht uh, Bueller that that involves quantum communication between centrioles. And since the psyllium-like attachment between the inner and outer photoreceptor segments is, is composed of elements that, that are similar to those found in centrioles, you suggest that, that, that these structures may serve uh, as, as a waveguide to acquire quantum information from photons like, like polarization or 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 angle. Now, can can I get you to to explain this to me? Because frankly, I, I had a hard time following this. And I, sure. I, yeah, I mean, though, yeah. though, though I know that, that that humans can't perceive the polarization angle of a of a photon. Yeah, sure. So certainly, some uh, animals have the sort of uh, you know super ability of being able to see polarized light. Bees are perhaps the best known example where they navigate. Uh, by uh, polarization, um, the, but the Albrecht Bueller uh, story uh, it was quite an interesting one in that uh, he did a very interesting experiment uh, not all that long ago. Actually, I think it was in sort of 1992. It was published in um, Proceedings National Academy of Science, where he he showed that cells that were fibroblast cells grown on a plate on one side of a plate in darkness tended to orientate themselves in a particular pattern uh, compared to cells grown on the other side of the plate. In, in other words, the uh, cells grown on one side sort of somehow knew the pattern of, of, of growth of cells on the other side of this glass plate. In other words, they could somehow see it, as he described it. Um, he provided quite good evidence that there must be some form of uh, electromagnetic radiation communication uh, between these cells. Um, it essentially ruled out other other forms of communication. But the uh, these things don't really have visual chromophores, so he, he called it a rudimentary form of vision. Others then took up this idea. Um, it wasn't so much to do with polarization really but the idea as you mentioned involves these centrioles things which are uh, biological you know subcellular structures composed of microtubules uh, the interest sort of in the paper was that the photoreceptors contain microtubules and, and, and a central cilium connecting the inner and outer segments now the this is kind of a little bit way out stuff, but the, the idea is that uh, actually stems from some stuff that uh, a guy called Stuart Hameroff is an anesthesiologist and Roger Penrose is a professor of mathematics at uh, Oxford uh, have proposed in that these microtubule, microtubules are in fact the anatomical substrate of consciousness and that the brain is actually a quantum computer. So this was what we were discussing briefly in the in the paper. 
uh, has some ramifications for how, or predictions, let's say, for how photoreceptors uh, should should behave. But but the but the concept uh, basically stems from uh, well, originally Pen, you know, Roger Penrose's ideas that uh, that that the human brain was not uh, a routine algorithmic computer. It, it could not be. Um, he's got sort of some reasons reasons why, which I can discuss if you like. Now, my, my interest in, in your work, Bob, I mean, obviously doesn't stem from its immediate clinical relevance. Now, having said this, are, are there applications that you can envisage um, for, for clinical practice? Yeah, well, I guess the, the, the one thing that came to my attention that was kind of the uh, motivation for writing this uh, review paper really was a fairly recent paper by some physicists in Singapore and they had uh, done a very interesting uh, experiment where they simply used a frog a rod photoreceptor as a quantum detector. So these guys normally have their own um, uh, you know, artificial obviously man-made quantum detectors but in this case they, they hooked up uh, a single uh, photoreceptor and analyze the responses of the photoreceptor to uh, various forms of incoming light. Now, uh, essentially they describe the pattern of response of the photoreceptor to laser light versus uh, incandescent light, thermal light. Now, one of the, one of the uh, quantum properties of, of the light is that the, the, the photons of, of different types of light will uh, arrive at, it, at the uh, detector with a different different distributions that have different sort of uh, different probability distributions, uh, different patterns basically. It's a thing called photon statistics. Now it turns out then that the rod photoreceptors were able to recognize these photons, these so-called photon statistics. So. This was very interesting, I felt, in the sense that, well, this was done on a frog photoreceptor, and we had ideas of trying to repeat the uh, experiment on the mammalian photoreceptors. And then what about, for instance, in diseased photoreceptors, or very early disease? What about, say, a photoreceptor from uh, a diabetic, an eye with diabetic retinopathy, for instance, or an eye with early, a photoreceptor with early retinitis pigmentosa, for instance? might the pattern of response be different? So I guess what I was thinking in a kind of uh, little bit uh, blue sky kind of idea is that it's not impossible that a clinical device could uh, detect the sort of quantum signature uh, pattern of response from photoreceptors and that these quantum signatures might be altered in, in, in early disease states. So uh, it's, it was potentially possible that you, know, you can envisage diagnostic uh, possible applications of this. You really, really neat stuff, Bob. What can I say? The, the, this, 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 this is the stuff that, that I, I would read about, even if it didn't deal with the, with the eye. Um, Bob, I want to thank you very much for uh, being so, so generous with uh, with your time, uh, thank you for for coming on the podcast. 
It's an absolute uh, pleasure to be on the show, Josh. Thanks very much for having me. Robert Casson comes to us from the South Australian Institute of Ophthalmology at the Royal Adelaide Hospital in Adelaide, Australia. His paper, Quantum Biology of the Retina, appears in the August 2014 issue of Clinical and Experimental Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Casson or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.